Okay, we are now uh, nearing the, uh, the, the end of Ephesians, uh, and uh, I still haven't decided what we're going to do next, but uh, if you have suggestions, I'm always open to hearing that. Uh, we're, we're in the sixth chapter. We, we made it into the sixth chapter last week, uh, and now we're going to continue on to a portion uh, of Ephesians that would seem much like last week that it's really addressed to one specific group of people. Like last week, uh, you, you, it's, it's, it's tempting to read the passages from last week, husbands, wives. Okay, well, that's just a husbands and wives. No, there's an underlying principle in these passages that pertain to believers. If you are a believer, this is for you. Same thing that applies to this passage this week. You would think immediately upon reading it, this is only to children. No, there's an underlying principle that, that, uh, that undergirds it, uh, that, that applies to you and me, that we have to be able to apply to our lives, uh, regardless if, if, whether our, what our state is in terms of our relationship with our, with our parents or whether we're children or not. So again, as it pertains to this passage of scripture, you're, we're going to read about children. And it's so easy to look at children in such a way that says, when you see, for instance, a child misbehaving, whose child is that? You know, whose child? Why is that child behaving that way? It's easy to do that because it's not our kid. It's not our kid, usually. Sometimes I've said that to my own kids in public. Whose child is this? And I'll walk away. So, but, uh, but, but the thing is that children, I've always said this, is that children are, are, are a caricature of adults. Children are a caricature of adults. Uh, have you ever seen a caricature? It's, it's a cartoon-like drawing that exaggerates certain features uh, of a person, the prominent features. Same thing as kids and adults. Kids can act out. You know, kids will throw tantrums, and you might think so someone needs to, to discipline that kid, right? When in reality, guess what? Adults throw tantrums too. We, we can do that just the same, just not maybe as pronounced as a child might throw a tantrum. Sometimes, because <laughs> even sometimes the adults are capable of throwing tantrums just like the kids. So when we read about children today, uh, they're, 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 uh, well, we have one child in here, but we're not going to direct anything toward this young little. <laughs> so, so again, we're not going to skip over this part just because, oh, well, we're not children, so we can skip over it. No, we have to dive into it. We have to see what uh, applications exist for us as adults, okay? Again, last week we talked a bit about marriage, and generally speaking, if I had to wrap up what we talked about last week in one simple thought, it would be whoever you are, husband, wife, single person, uh, something that marks the life of a Christian is a posture that says, you first. You first. I'm putting your needs before mine because quite simply, that's what Christ did for us. Christ, from Philippians 2, 5 and 8, we're told, uh, 2, 5 through 8, uh, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. In other words, though Christ could have pulled rank, though he could have claimed superiority to us, right? Despite that, he emptied himself, we're told. He emptied himself and took on the form of a servant. For what purpose? To die for you. That's why he did it, to die for you. Uh, he didn't have sin in his life that he had to atone for, but you did. I did. So he took your need and placed it upon himself and effectively said, you first. You before me. I'm not doing this for my sake. I'm doing this for your sake. And this is the kind of behavior that should mark all of us as Christians, one that constantly and continually puts the needs of others first for their sake. And ultimately, God gets the glory through it, okay? This week, same mindset, same vein, Paul continues his thought to what we're going to look at today. This is more you first mentality, you first. Let's look at it. This is Ephesians 6, 1 to 4. Ephesians 6, 1 to 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. 
honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Okay, like I was saying a moment ago, even if you don't have children or your children are all grown and out of the house, you need to understand what's being said here because the fact of the matter is each and every one of us in some respect as the way it's being taught here is a child. We may not be children, you and I may not be children, but we are offspring to someone, all right? Someone, this is true for every single one of us, someone can claim us as their child in that regard. So in that respect alone, there's something here for each of us to, to glean from, to understand and apply, all right? Paul starts out the chapter by saying, children, obey your parents. Right there, Paul is talking to non-adults. Okay, it's directly to non-adults, and he tells them to obey their parents. So let's start off by asking this. Why is Paul telling kids to obey their parents? Why is God telling, uh, why is Paul telling kids, obey your parents? Not a trick question. Why do you think he's saying that? Fourth commandment. What does the fourth commandment say? Honor your father and mother. Okay, honor your father and mother. Uh, fifth commandment. Is that fifth commandment? I think it's fifth. I did four wheels go to church. <laughs> okay, fifth, all right. <laughs> I just had me going through my, in my head. I felt like I was going through my ordination exam all over again. So the first thing we have to notice is the distinction. Paul tells kids to obey, right? And the commandment he quotes says to honor. So Paul is telling kids to obey because of the principle that lies behind it. And it is, that is the honor of one's father and mother. And that principle applies to each and every one of us. Yes, even as adults. Each of us is required to honor our father and mother. There's no expiration date on that commandment. All right. And that may come as a surprise to you. I'm going to get into it in a little bit. Now, I don't know all of your individual situations. But inevitably, there's someone in the group, in the crowd, that says something to the effect of, yeah, but do you know my father? Have you ever met my mother? Right? Uh, is there anyone that's exempt from this commandment? Is there anyone that's exempt from the fifth commandment? Anyone. Okay? I'm going to leave a little bit of tension in the room there. So here's what we're going to do today. We're going to, ask, uh, we're going to ask and talk about the what, the why, and the how of this particular commandment and what's behind this in Ephesians chapter 6. What are we being asked to do? And, and why are we being asked to do it and how we're supposed to do it, okay? It's going to take a little bit of time to work through it, but, and hopefully we will get done in, in plenty of time to allow for some questions. I'll stop along the way. But first of all, I want to, when we're talking about honoring one's mother and father, I want to talk about what that means. What is it? First of all, the what. This is pretty straightforward here. Paul begins by saying, children, obey your parents. And he says this because of this overarching principle. It points to the fifth commandment, to honor your father and mother. First, notice, I want you to notice what the commandment does not command. All right? What does it not command? It doesn't command affection. All right? It doesn't command trust. Uh, it doesn't command admiration. It doesn't say admire your father and mother. And the commandment doesn't say, uh, the commandment um, doesn't say obey 
your mother and father. Do you notice the fifth commandment doesn't say obey, it says honor. Now, that doesn't mean that some of these things aren't appropriate, you know, completely called for given the individual scenario. Uh, if you admire and trust your parents, I think that's a great thing. That's a good thing, depending on your situation, right? Why do I throw that disclaimer in there? Depending on your situation. Be like, for instance, is it, why do I say depending on your situation, it's a good thing to admire your, your, your mother and father or your parent? Because quite simply, Sometimes there's nothing to admire. Imagine you are the uh, child of Pablo Escobar. Maybe I shouldn't put this on a recording. <laughs> Again, if you have parents that are, sometimes you have parents that are difficult to admire, right? Again, uh, I haven't even met most of your parents, right? But the point is, I don't suspect anyone in this room, but, but maybe you had a father who plainly stated isn't to be trusted. You know, what about obedience? Well, like we're told in Ephesians, yes, little children, non-adults, are to obey your parents. In fact, when you're, when you're first born in your infancy, you really don't have much of a choice. You, you're, you're totally dependent upon your parents, and you have to obey them to survive. As a child, to obey your parents is to honor your parents, and you really don't know much else at this point. But eventually, what happens? Eventually, you grow older, and you're no longer dependent upon your parents. In fact, earlier in Ephesians, we're told to leave our parents, and what that means, we're, we're no longer to obey our parents. It means we're all grown up and on our own. And really, that is the ultimate objective of the parent, to bring you to a place where you can stand on your own independently of them. Now, it, we see this all the time in nature, how the, literally the mama bird will push the baby bird out of the, out of the nest. Get on out. You've got to fly on your own. Now, here's why we have to point this out. We, we have to make distinctions between what the commandment says and what the commandment doesn't say because some parents, whether we like it or not, are evil, right? They're bad. So to obey them or even to trust them would be unwise and inconsistent with your identity in Christ. This is why the commandment is so wise and doesn't command us to have affection, trust, or admiration, or even obey mothers and fathers. The commandment tells us, children and adults alike, to honor our parents, to honor them. That's the one thing you must always have with them, no matter what age you are, no matter what condition you're in, no matter what the scenario is, no matter what kind of person you are, no matter what kind of people they are, you have to honor them. The Bible leaves, leaves us without excuse under any condition for you to not honor your parents. So that's important. That's important that we make that distinction between honor from all those other things. Now, even though I haven't got to the last two parts yet, the, uh, uh, the who and the, and the what, or the why and the, and the how, the why and the how, uh, the, the why and the how of honoring our parents. So we haven't, I haven't exactly defined what we mean by honor, because I know some of you are thinking right now, then what do we mean by honor? If it's, not if it's not admiration, if it's not obedience, if it's not any of these other things, what do we mean by honor? So uh, we're going to get to that in the, in, the, in the why and the how, all right? That's all we're required to show. That's what the commandment requires of us, honor, all right? Whatever the circumstance is, do you get that much? Any questions or thoughts so far? And again, I've reserved the right to say we're going to get to that in the, in the why and the how. 
Does that make sense? Yes, sir. I think that's the qualification that, that uh, the distinction that, that Paul is making here, right? <laughs> Obey your parents in the Lord. Okay, I think, I think that's part of what we're talking about here. Because in a sense, but even, chi- we're going to get to this too. Uh, children are to obey their parents whether or not they're Christian. Children are to obey their parents whether or not they're Christian because, this is the part that I'm going to get to in a little bit, whether they know it or not, obedience to their parents, whether they're Christian or not, is a reflection of, of a higher order, is a reflection of a higher authority that exists. Okay, and I promise you I'm going to get to that, Okay. Anyone else? Thoughts? Before we continue, because I want to get to the why next. The why? All right, here we go. Uh, We'll try and understand the why. Why is it that God asks us to honor our parents? And this is what I was uh, uh, just getting into a little bit with Mr. Littlejohn there. Before we answer that question directly, uh, let's identify a few of the wrong reasons we honor our father and mother. Just like we talked about marriage last week. You know, sometimes we tend to import a lot of cultural factors into our uh, uh, definitions of what it means for, for wives to submit and, and husbands to love. We import a lot of culture in there. Some, same thing with this too. We can import a lot of culture into what we mean by honor your father and mother. Um, some people will say, you tell me the fallacy here. You should honor your father and mother because they're your own flesh and blood. They gave you life, and for that reason alone, you should honor your father and mother. Where's the logical fallacy within that as it pertains to biblical definition of honor? You should honor them because you're your own flesh and blood. They gave you life. Anyone can poke a hole in that? Are there any exceptions to that? Adoption, right? Adoption. Someone that can say, well, uh, if, uh, if my parents didn't give me life per se, I don't have to honor them because I was adopted, right? When you have to understand here, the adoptive language of the Bible is arguably stronger than anything that has to do with bloodline, okay? So the, so the Lord doesn't draw the line at bloodline, okay? We Christians, ha- you and I, as believers, we've been adopted. You and I have been adopted. As adopted children, we are co-heirs with Christ, Okay, so, so we're the, the firstborn, we're heirs, co-heirs with the firstborn, so to speak. So that's our position as adopted children. So it really has nothing to do with bloodline. You, you can even go back to the Old Testament and say, well, it was all about Israel back then, was it? Yes, but there were also people of the Lord that were not of Abraham's direct bloodline. And you can look at the genealogy and see that too, you know, that that's the case. It's never about directly bloodline. It's more about that adoptive language that the Lord puts uh, uh, as, 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 uh, as parents. Yeah. Isn't it every child you hear from, they, they say, I didn't ask to be here. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's, that's even the denial that every, every kid tries to do. It's, it's funny how that, that in the opposite way from the adoptive language. Yeah, yeah. That's right. That's right. That's why I say it's a fallacy here, to, to be, because again, it, it contradicts the language of the Bible. You know, even if the child says, I didn't ask to be here in this situation, well, that's because you're, you're working under a higher authority here. You're working under the, the principle of a sovereign God. And that's true for every single one of us. You know, every single one, not, not, a, not a single one of us can say, you know, not, none of us asked to be here. But this is where we are. This is where the Lord put us. And so, because we are under the realm of God's sovereign creation, we are subject to his order. We're subject to his principles, like it or not. 
right? You can shake your fist at God and say, I didn't ask to be here. That same principle is reflective of our, our children to their parents. They can shake their fist at their parents too, but it's again reflective of, of something higher than just that immediate relationship. That, there's natural order whether you want to be a part of it or not, right? Uh, what about this? Maybe we honor them because they're older and therefore wiser. Is that a good reason to say we automatically honor our parents because they're older and wiser? Who can punch a hole in that one? Dementia. <laughs> There's dementia? <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. Which again, usually comes with age. What else? Is, is, by the mere fact that you are older, does that automatically make you wiser? No, of course not. No, I, I, we know a lot of people that are older, some of them in leadership positions, you know, and don't read into that, please, <laughs> that are not necessarily wiser. Age or wisdom does not necessarily come with age. You are, however, you can, however, grow wise in the Lord. And sometimes that happens irrespective of age. Okay, so again, just because you, you just because, uh, oh, they're older, therefore I have to, to, uh, to uh, honor them because they're wiser, that, no, that, that does not apply here. The fact is that parents are sinners. Children are sinners. The Bible says you, you can't just say we should honor parents because parents are less sinful. That's not true. That's not true. That's not what it says, and it's just not true. How about this? We honor our parents simply out of gratitude for everything they've done for us, even beyond giving life. You know, I, I, uh, we often, you know, tease and joke with our kids that say, hey, you know, it was an old uh, line from a comedian, I brought you into this world, I'll take you out, right? Uh, I, I, gave you th- I gave you the food on your back. Wait a minute, I gave you the food in your mouth. I gave you the clothes on your back. I'm glad you're paying attention. <laughs> I gave you a roof over your head. And just for that alone, you should, be, you should honor me for all the things that I provided for you. Whether you like me or not, you should honor me. Okay, who can punch a hole in that one? Remember what we said. There are no exemptions to this commandment to honor your father and mother. So if we're hinging it upon, ah, all the wonderful things that you've done to provide for me, how can you punch a hole in that one? That's right. It's still a work-based principle. And, and here's the fact of the matter. There are some parents out there, what, that did not do enough, right? And so therefore we're saying, since you did not do enough, I don't have to honor you. That's not what the commandment says. The commandment says honor, full stop. So we can't put qualifications on it, honor, if you did enough for me. You know, because who's going to be the, who's going to be the measuring, uh, who's going to be the measuring, you know, going to provide the, the guide for measurement in those scenarios? Ah, you've now crossed the threshold between what has done enough and what has not done enough. Therefore, I should honor you. It, the commandment doesn't say that. It says honor. Honor your father and mother. Good. You've punched, you've successfully punched holes in, in all of these, okay? Um, and one more principle here along those lines. Uh, whether we like to acknowledge it or not, whether we are Christians or not, this is what we were talking about a moment ago. There's a moral structure in the universe. There's a moral order to things. There's a right and there's a wrong, and there's a God who created us. And when we listen to his word and we come under his authority, you know, yes, I believe what you say about me. We listen to what he says. We experience the liberty of authority. There is liberty in authority. Yes, we experience the freedom, joy, and pleasure that exists within authority. Since when? 
Do you ever associate freedom, joy, and pleasure with authority? Do you typically do that? Not usually. You know, when we think about, about authority, we tend to think of oppression, especially in today's, uh, uh, there's a lot of language uh, that, around power and authority and power structures. And, and I want to be careful when we start talking in those, those terms because again, the Bible reflects the concept of authority and it, and it is grounded in the concept of authority. We don't want, we generally don't want to be under authority. We're Americans, right? We want freedom. We don't want anyone telling us what to do or what not to do. But have you ever thought about what the world would look like absent of authority? What would the world look like if there was no authority? It'd be chaos. It'd be chaos. An example I heard was, for instance, musicians. Musicians are under the direction of a conductor, right? What if, what if an orchestra wasn't under the direction of a conductor? what would that orchestra sound like? What if everyone just played what they wanted to play? It would sound terrible. Be cacophonous, I think is the word. But again, if you have someone, rep it's authority, saying, okay, listen, here we go. We're going to start all at the same time. And we're all going to go at the same tempo. And we're all going to play the same song, <laughs> right? The same piece, actually, you should say. And so then it sounds beautiful because you are submitting yourself to the authority of the conductor. What about this uh, for all you football players? You remember some years ago, or football fans, uh, some years ago when the, 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 the NFL had to use replacement referees. You remember that? Uh, the referees went on strike. And so they said, well, we got, we got to find somebody. <laughs> and so they hired replacement referees. And you know what? Those referees were awful. They were terrible. They, 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 uh, uh, if but if they were going to play the game, if they were going to have a football game, they had to have them, as terrible as they were. Because what would the game have looked like if they just didn't have any referees at all? You know, you give respect to the person in authority knowing that even if that person is not doing a good job, it would be far worse if there was no one there at all enforcing that that uh, those principles because there has to be somebody there because there is a moral structure to the universe and god made it okay here's the thing most things don't happen unless you put yourself under someone's authority the bible says again there's a moral order for life and god is our creator and he tells us what is right and wrong now here's the payoff here's where we're going with this the first incarnation of that moral order the first representative we have of that moral order in the universe is our parents. Oh, you were going to say Jesus, but yes. <laughs> but again, the first, the first visible, tangible uh, uh, manifestation that we have of that is our parents. It's our parents. The moral order, that, that moral order is a teaching authority. What do I mean by that? Look at verse 4 uh, when it says, Fathers, do not provoke your children as to anger, but bring them up. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. First of all, here's where the authority lies. Discipline and instruction means teach your children what is right. But the phrase bring them up is very important because the whole purpose of teaching your child is not to make them more controlled by you. You bring them up to raise them up to be independent. Our job is to bring them to the place where they can make their own decisions independent of you. From the very onset, from birth, we begin teaching them, whether they realize it or not, we begin to teach them and bring them to a place where they don't need you. That's the whole purpose of parenting, all right? So that they can operate independently of you. That's the kind of authority we're talking about here. 
Again, more of that you first mentality. Again, if that's the mindset you go into raising your children, again, I want you to be able to stand independently of me. That is a you first mentality. I'm not raising you, I'm not teaching you things so that I look better, so that you can stand on your own. That's why we, we, we impose our authority on them. It's for their own sake, okay? Now listen to this. What makes a, a parent effective is not whether or not he or she is right. Let me say it again. What makes a parent effective is not whether he or she is right, but whether or not she takes up the, uh, he or she takes up the office that God called the parent to. And that is being a teaching authority. Teach them about authority. Teach them to understand authority because understanding authority ultimately points them to who? Lucy? Jesus. Ultimately points them to the ultimate authority of the universe. That's our job. That's our role as, as parents, whether we accept it or not. And a good parent is somebody who actually does it. What destroys a child's respect for a parent is not whether or not the parent is wise, smart, or profound. What really destroys a, chi uh, a child's respect for the parent is, and I'm sure you've probably heard this before, but where a child loses respect for a parent is when the parent doesn't do any teaching at all, when they're absent, when they're not trying to impose this authority on them so that they see the reflection of, of God Almighty, where the parent doesn't display any authority at all. That, that's like a, a football game that we talked about where there's no referees at all. It'd be, a, it'd be a mess, okay? So even if your parents taught you wrong things, listen to this, even if your parents taught you wrong things, even if your parents were complete failures, even if they were never with you, you still honor them. Why? Because of what they represent a reflection of, of who they are. Authority is there because God placed it there. Again, none of, us said, I, none of us said, this is the one that I choose, so therefore we were placed where we were placed because that's where God put them. God the Father, God the Father put them there. You, res you give your parents respect because of what lies behind them, because of the authority that lies behind them, which is God the Father uh, himself. Does that make sense? We got still one more, one more topic to one, the how, but are you with me so far? Anybody want to throw any stones at me right now? It's, it's hard. This is really hard because I know, I know some of you are in difficult relationships with your, your parents and your children, and, and uh, uh, this, is, this, this is hard to hear. You know, I don't want to honor someone that, again, doesn't show me those other things, that hasn't provided for me, that hasn't uh, respected me, uh, that, that is angry all the time. Those kind of things are difficult to make sense. But again, you have to understand the principle of, of who they ultimately reflect, whether they know it or not. All right? One more. Here we go. How? This is how we do it. Uh, you know, why do we have to do it? We honor them. Why do we, why do we have to do it? Because they're God's first representatives of moral order in your life, because they represent him. Now, how do we do it? And the process of detailing how we do it, I think, is uh, we'll be able to define what it is exactly we mean by honor. All right? So I'm going to give you three things, three practical means of how you honor your parents. There are probably more. These are the three best that I've heard, and I didn't come up with them myself. These, these come courtesy of Tim Keller. Uh, and I'm not going to pretend, pretend that I'm bright enough to know uh, or come up with these things on my own. But these are his three practical means of showing your parents honor. Number one. Okay? He says, first of all, take your parents seriously. Again, this, this, is, this is for adults, but take your parents seriously. You don't necessarily have to do what they say. You don't necessarily have to, 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 to think they're marvelous, right? 
you don't necessarily have to confide all of your problems to them, but you do treat them as if they are significant because they are, because of what we were just talking about, what they represent. You can't treat them flippantly. Uh, you have to take them seriously. And I'm, and I'm sorry to say that I, I feel like I've seen this all too many times that once, once the parent starts getting a little bit older and, and, and that difficult shift of, of, of suddenly the child becoming the parent, that is something difficult to negotiate, but that doesn't give you license to start belittling them or teaching or treating them like a child. You still have to treat them with dignity like they're an adult. And there are lots of ways to do that. You know, uh, you, can, you can give them the place of honor at the table. That's treating them, uh, uh, treating them seriously. Remembering their anniversary, their birthdays, things like that. Uh, asking them for their opinion and, and listening to it seriously, even if you're not sure they're going to take it, their advice. At least allow them to, to the, the dignity of speaking into a difficult situation in your life. Remember the posture we keep speaking of here. This is a you first mentality. You before me. Okay? Remember the posture that, that uh, we're, we're talking about here. This is the mode of Christ, and this can be applied broadly throughout your whole life. In the same way that you'd say you first for a spouse, you can do the same thing for a, for a parent and treat them uh, significant, make them feel honored. Okay? Remind them of the things they taught you. Uh, it can be something as simple as when you're talking to them on the phone, reminding them, you know what I learned from you that I still do to this day? That honors them. That shows them you take them seriously. Uh, that's the first practical thing that we can do as, as children to our parents. Treat them seriously and don't belittle them, okay? So far, so good? Here's two more. Second, forgive them. And, and again, I know this is a tough one. This is a tough one. Uh, and again, I'm not going to pretend to know all of your situations. Uh, I've heard some awful testimonies of some of the awful things that parents have done to their children. So how is it that we can easily say, well, we have to forgive them? It's not easy. I know it's not easy, but here's the truth behind this. And again, this is one of those principles that applies to whether we're talking about parents and children or just life as a Christian. If you forgive them, the beneficiary of that forgiveness ultimately becomes you. You have to realize this. Maybe your father and mother were really awful. Let's grant that. Let's grant that there are some awful people in the world that have done awful things. Okay, maybe your parents were terrible examples of God's authority. Listen to this. The only way they can continue to have any sort of control over you is if you stay resentful to them. If they treated you awful and you're still resentful of how they treat you, they're still hurting you. They're still hurting you. They're still affecting you and influencing your actions. They have a measure of control over you. And the only way that you can actually get free from them to get out from under their control, which again is really the purpose of parenting, is to forgive them. You got to forgive them. Then you start acting and making decisions independent of their influence. Again, and that's the whole objective of parenting. Does that make sense? And again, that's, that's a difficult one because I know it's easier said than done. I know it's easier to say forgive than it actually is to go about the paces of doing it. And let me tell you something. Sometimes forgiveness comes through actions first and the heart has to trail behind. Sometimes it's the paces of going through the, the, the motions of forgiving someone before the heart can catch up to that. But the first step, it's kind of like what we do in confession on, on, uh, when we do it in church. Uh, we're, we're acknowledging something. You're acknowledging something that, you know, Lord, I'm sorry. Uh, and you're, you're going through something, even though you, you haven't maybe escaped that sin. But again, going through the paces of it first sometimes allows the heart to then catch up. All right. Uh, any thoughts, comments about that one? That's a tough one, I know. Let me do one more. 
one more, and then we can open up for a few more questions. Honor Christ. How do you honor your parents? The, this is the, the best advice I can give you that, again, ultimately came from someone else. But if you honor Christ, you honor your parents, whether they receive it that way or not. Because remember, what this is ultimately reflective of, it's reflective of his authority, his authority over the whole cosmos, okay? So if you honor Christ, you will honor your parents. You'll, you'll never be able to love and honor your parents unless you're free from the need of, to receive their approval. Spiritually speaking, the only way that you can grow up is to be really free from your parents. If, if, you, if you are looking beyond your parents to the love of the Heavenly Father, uh, then by, by default, you're going to honor them. I, uh, I grew up with a great set of parents. I did. My mom and dad loved the Lord, but spiritually speaking, I was probably most influenced by my mother. And when I was a little child, let me tell you how I started to, the, the pattern that I started to develop. Uh, I, I, you know, again, when I was a little child, I looked at my mom and I thought, I, I don't think she's ever sinned before. I don't think she's ever sinned. And so I thought that she and God were, were you know, just like that. And so what that meant was, is that why, why would I need to pray for anything? Why would I need to, dear Lord, what, to, what should I do today? I just need to, if I want to know the Lord's will, just ask the sinless mother over there, right? And guess what? That's, a, that's not a good habit to fall into because what, what, what ultimately, again, what is the ultimate objective of the parent? To do what? We just said this many times. So, so push you out of the nest so that you act independently, not in and of yourself act independently, but be ultimately reliant upon the Lord. And that's something that I had to break free from. I couldn't just spend the rest of my life saying, mom, what should I do? Okay, I'll take this job. Mom, what should I do? Okay, I'll marry this person. No, I had to become independent of my mom's influence so that I can go to the Lord himself and ask him, Lord, what should I do? What job should I take? Should I take this job or that job? Should I marry this, this woman? I only had one choice, really. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I, had, I had the best choice, and, and uh, it, was really, it was really didn't require much thought. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah I'm in. So again, but again, I, I couldn't continue to do that my whole life and just de- rely upon my mom for, for her uh, uh, input on me. I had, to, I had to be independent of her influence so that I could go to the Lord and ask him and be reliant upon him. And guess what? That honors my mother and father. She would tell you that to this day. She is most honored when she sees her own offspring honoring the Lord, honoring the Lord first. Again, remember, if the authority of my parents is a reflection of God's authority over me, again, if that's supposed to be a sketch that's reminiscent of God's place in my life, my parents are being honored the most if I honor the ultimate authority. Uh, Does that make sense? We shouldn't, even our parents, as good as our parents are, as good as our parents may be, we cannot treat them like idols. And idols, do you know a basic definition of what idolatry is? Basic definition of idolatry is taking something that is inherently good, like for instance your parents, taking something that is inherently good and making it to be the ultimate. The the thing that you have to have, the thing that you absolutely must have in order to to function in society, to, uh, to, to carry out the Lord's will. And if you place even your parents on such a high level of, of, uh, of admiration that you ignore what the will of the Father is, you're number one. You're not only not uh, fulfilling God's order, but you're, you've made an idol out of something. And again, good parenting says, uh, 
I'm going to make you function independently without me and rely upon the Lord and the Lord alone, not to make an idol of me, uh, but so that you honor the Lord and that ultimately will honor me as a parent. Does that make sense? All right. Let's, uh, let's see if you have any other comments, thoughts, or questions. Again, I know that's a lot. And again, if, if, any, if any of these things bother you or you're troubled by them and said, listen, I, I, I have issue with that and I would love to talk more about it. Uh, and this may not be the, the setting to do that. My office is always open and I would love to come talk to you about that, whether it's uh, through a phone call, uh, through an in-person meeting, email exchange, whatever you want, because I know this is some difficult stuff. But uh, does anyone have any other comments they want to share with us or, or insights or, or anything like that? Or did I leave you shell-shocked? Anyone? All right, good. I guess we're all in agreement. <laughs> Live with this. Uh, uh, chew on it, you know, read back through Ephesians 6, 1 to 4, uh, and really contemplate that, really contemplate, again, what the underlying principle is, and the underlying principle is that fifth commandment uh, that tells us to honor our father and mother, and again, like I said, that is the moral order of the Lord, it doesn't have an expiration on it, which is different than some other portions of the, of the, of the Old Testament that have been fulfilled, uh, that we, for instance, we, we, we eat meat now, right? Uh, we, we don't stay away from bacon, thank the Lord. Uh, those things were fulfilled in Christ's uh, um, death, life, life, death, and resurrection. His moral, his moral law remains the same throughout eternity. And honor your father and mother are a part of that moral law that does not expire. All right? Again, any other questions, please feel free to, uh, to, to bring them my way. I'm happy to talk through, through those with you. Uh, but let's, uh, let's close in prayer. Uh, our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, even the difficult topics. We thank you for the ones that we have to, to wrestle with uh, because it is in the wrestling, it is, it is through the struggling uh, that you refine us, that you make us like your son. So Father, help us to not just uh, take these words and, and, uh, and say, okay, I accept them, but help us to make them cause us to go back further into your word and understand it more and allow your Holy Spirit to work in our hearts and our minds and in our, uh, in our being uh, to make us more like Christ. Uh, go with us, teach us uh, as, as we know you will, uh, for it's in your, your son's holy name that we pray. Amen. All right. Thank you. <laughs>